Welcome to Talking Health Tech. My name is Peter Birch, and this is a podcast of conversations with key players and influencers to promote innovation and collaboration for better healthcare enabled by technology. With me today is Dina Scott, founder and CEO of Vmore, which stands for Virtual Medical Office. Dina and Vmore helps medical specialists start and scale their practices, and she continues to redesign, apply new technologies, processes, and systems to improve the virtual private practice model. Dina also mentors health tech startups, providing advice or commercialization, practical integration, and patient-centric outcomes. With her qualifications in management, finance, and health informatics, Dina has developed a formidable team of industry experts and continues to be a leader in technology driven patient care. Hey, Dina, how are you going? I'm good, Peter. I've known you for a while, but I've not actually heard the full story on how you've come into what you do now. So enlighten me. How did you wind up doing everything that you do now? It's a weird and wonderful winding little journey, but uh, I'll start where my first medical career commenced. So I had no previous medical experience and a colleague of mine was a nurse for a dermatologist on the Sunshine Coast. And I was in a payroll job at a manufacturing firm looking for something a little bit more inspiring. And I applied for the job and I got it because apparently the devil, better the devil you know than one you don't. (laughs) But the other reason was that he could see from my work that I had attention to detail and that was something that he was very interested in. And once I got into this being a specialist secretary, I think I was hooked because at that time, the dermatologist was one of the first to be doing Mohs surgery in Australia. And the Sunshine Coast being the skin cancer capital, we were constantly busy. I then um, moved to Brisbane and worked for an IVF specialist and then helped ONG set up in private practice. And with that ONG, we had an extra room And we would bring a variety of different specialists and help them establish in that room. After about five years, everything was running really smoothly. And I I said to the doctor, I'm a little bit bored. Everything's running really smoothly. I'm looking at wanting to go out and do some consulting. And he said, yeah, great. That's fine. No problems. As long as you keep looking after me. 26 years later, I'm still managing his practice. (laughs) And, um, you know, I went and did some consulting for the AMA in Queensland. I was uh, teaching medical reception at TAFE and contracting to UNE partnerships for face-to-face medical reception courses. And training and education was always a big passion of mine. Technology sort of came in very early in the piece in the late 80s. When I had finished school, I went and did a, a short course in microcomputing and femtech certainly wasn't in play then. So... <laughs> I got an opportunity to really play with technology as I was setting up these different doctors and I was managing the networks and, you know, really getting in and and looking at what was happening behind the scenes and really enjoyed that. So I was also doing the software training for, you know, these medical receptionists and I really, really wanted to know that those processes were working well for the business. So when I started working for that ONG, he'd already chosen the um, the PMS software package for the practice, and I wasn't all that impressed with the way that it functioned. So I established a business case for him to make another investment, effectively, which you know wasn't insignificant, to purchase a different product, which I felt would run his business much better, and and certainly, um, you know, as time went on, that that came to fruition. Uh, And I think 
during those times where I really got in the back end and looked at the configuration and the way these things worked, that's one of the things that really, you know, sort of led me into that health tech um, interest that, you know, has come through for the rest of my career. Uh, so setting up that doctor, we had an extra room, we would bring in different specialties, and that gave me a very broad, multidisciplinary um, exposure, I guess, to to medical special spe medical specialists, and that you know a lot of other people probably at that time hadn't had exposure to. So I'm you know very fortunate that I had that opportunity to to do that, and you know consulting at through the AMA and and working with Ramsey Health, uh, you come up against a lot of things that you wouldn't normally see. It's one thing to work in a practice that you've developed the systems and processes for, but going in and consulting and trying to problem solve and streamline and, and educate for practice improvement is a much greater challenge. It's something that I really, really enjoy. I'm a prolific problem solver and I really enjoy that process and the thinking that's required to actually resolve those on a system-wide basis. And, and when I say system-wide, I'm just not talking about the technology of a healthcare practice. I'm talking about the financial processes, the patient flow process, the administration processes and how they all interact and come out the other end understanding that a medical secretary's role is a very responsible role. It's not just answering the telephone. It is having to make sure that all of the information that you put into that practice software is accurate because it reflects all the way through the organisation. It goes into the clinical record. The doctor will then print out a pathology form or a referral document. And if it's got an incorrect date of birth or something like that, it can have implications down the track. And in addition, those front desk girls or men these days, the responsibility of making sure that the financial processes, you know, are solid is incredibly important, particularly today, having a good understanding of, you know, basic accounting principles and, and how those flow through an organisation and the impact of making a mistake at the front desk can have on the bookkeeper is something that, you know, I constantly communicate in practices. And so then pulling all that together and what you've learned through that time and seeing those mistakes made and how to do them better, it sounds like then that's brought you to create VMore, which is what it is today. Is that right? If you were to then to summarize what VMore is, what is it, who's it for and, and what problem does it solve? One of the things I'm passionate about is being Australian based. So VMore is an Australian based virtual professional services firm and we provide the outsourced practice management, technology and secretarial expertise principally for healthcare specialists, so surgeons and physicians. The problem it solves for us to make that technology invisible in the delivery of care and that it's quite seamless in the way that we deliver things, but more importantly, making sure that that virtual style of practice doesn't lose that human component. So the people in the practice are incredibly important. In fact, more important than the technology. The technology is what helps leverage that personalization of care. 
Mm. And so for those unfamiliar with the the concept of virtual practice management, we've covered it at some point on the podcast and people have probably come across it in their lives. But for those that don't know, just describe what that service actually is and what that looks like. We provide, you know, a, a broad range of virtual services, not just management. So management is an overseeing of your operations. And I like to think that it's more about leadership than management and being able to get the people to understand their particular roles, making sure everyone's accountable. That can be done virtually or in person. The area where becoming virtual is more important is that you can't be everything to everyone now. Once upon a time as a practice manager, you could wear lots of hats and it was something that was necessary and did require you to have the marketing hat, the business operations hat, the HR hat, the finance hat. These days, there's so much legislation, information moves so quickly and the change is happening so quickly that is incredibly difficult to keep up with that, particularly as a sole person managing a practice. In a lot of um, specialty practices, there is only one person and trying to you know, service patients and manage the business is an incredibly difficult, if not impossible task, especially if you're trying to keep up with that technology. It's just moving much too rapidly. I think that the recent challenges of 2020 have shown that an investment needs to be made in people as well as technology so that they can adapt more efficiently and respond more promptly to crises like we've seen. And part of that is having that virtualized technology to support that. So for me, virtual practice management is leadership in healthcare, providing an advisory type support for specialists to control their and run their practice how they see fit, help them achieve goals. So a practice manager these days should more be in, you know, the strategic operational side of things. Outsourcing to bookkeepers and uh, and the like is something that it's not the core business and it shouldn't be the core focus. It is just a component of delivering care. The point that you raised earlier was that you're very proud of being all Australian based and that's particularly important. In such a globalized economy and world these days where the back office can be done technically by anyone, why is that such an important thing for you and and something that you've always maintained in your business? It was one of the critical things when I established VMORE because I'm very passionate about privacy and security and data management and I may be a little bit of a control freak. (laughs) But uh, <laughs> I like the clarifying maybe. You know, just in case. <laughs> you know it, it, it's been really nice to be able to actually go to the data centers and walk down the hallway and, you know, stroke it kindly <laughs> and say, I'm so glad you're in Australia. The transmission of geofencing your data is incredibly important in Australia. Cybersecurity, as we know, is on the rise. And, you know, the more that you can do to control and manage the flow of information in a healthcare practice and making sure that you know there's no leaks then the more reassured you can be and certainly they're the kind of things that even your cybersecurity insurer will be looking to see what you've put in place to actually mitigate 
a potential for a cyber incident. So making sure that you're complying with the relevant legislation. And from a bookkeeping perspective, yes, I know a lot of accountants do outsource overseas. I personally think that for me, it's about maintaining quality and quality assurance. And I've had a little bit of experience with that as a customer, and it hasn't been all that positive. So I think for myself and what I want to be able to provide our clients is something that I don't cut corners. And I can understand how that would be very much appreciated by your client base as well. Having a clear understanding of who's doing what and where they're located would probably be pretty important given that all that responsibility ends up falling on the the clinician at some point anyway, if something were to go wrong. Yeah, I think that it'd be nice if they understood that a little better, that at the end of the day, it is their responsibility to ensure the privacy and security and management of patient data, but that's actually not, I think, the understanding out there. And a lot of responsibility from the doctor's perspective, they feel that is taken should be taken on by the software vendors. And I think that it's a two-way street and that there should be some shared accountability there depending on what type of breach would occur. So largely, at the end of the day, the IT provider can only do so much, but if a staff member opens a phishing email, really that is the responsibility of the provider. Yeah, there is a difference in whether you're using a, I can't think of any example where this has happened in healthcare, but if a cloud provider was hacked and there was no control and then all of a sudden everyone's information was leaked and there was no involvement from the clinic. That's very different than if, you know, at a clinic level, the receptionist, after watching three hours of cat videos, then decided to (laughs) claim the 1 million Bitcoin that have been sent their way because it's their lucky day. So, um, and I'm sure there's every in between, but yes, I can certainly see how the usual position in terms of privacy and technology then usually falls to everyone looks at the software vendor saying, what are you doing about that? I appreciate there's there's, uh, things to be done on both sides there. I think one of the things that Vmore does really well is act as a central representative for the doctor. So one of the things that historically happened in healthcare is that, you know, something will happen and the hardware will blame the software vendor. And at the end of the day, I just want the problem solved. So we solve those problems for our clients. We take that responsibility on and say, we don't blame anybody. We just want the problem solved. So they don't have to start ringing all of these places and waiting for things to happen. It just, it just gets fixed and they get a brief on what it happened and we move on. (laughs) That's the way. I can understand how a lot of different clinics would and clinicians would appreciate that. Earlier on, you mentioned how you instigated the change of a practice management system really early in your career. And no doubt you would have probably spoken to a lot of clinicians or clinics or practice managers, anyone that's considering changing practice management systems. I raised this one specifically Mm. because it's such a big decision to make in a clinic. Normally there's some pain or they're like, oh, I don't like this because of my practice management system should do it this way. Or I used to use this one and it did it better in inverted commas. Do you have any advice for clinics that are considering switching out their practice management system? Because it's normally a pretty disruptive thing to do and it's a big deal. And then often it's not a decision you can make lightly. And if you did make it lightly, you you probably screwed up. So, so uh, what, what, what are some advice that you provide to clinicians that are, that are considering switching practice management systems? Well, there's two conversations here. There's one is, you know, choosing the, the right package in the first mm-hmm. place. And the second one is if you've made the wrong choice and what's the process. Mm -hmm. So 
in choosing a product, I highly recommend that the doctors actually get to have a play with the various different packages because they all are quite nuanced in some of their workflows and everyone works differently and it needs to suit the way you work. So, you know, in particular with Vimo, we don't prescribe to the doctors what you should have to use no paper. We work with the, the way that the doctor works and, and, and respond accordingly, but workflows and the way people's minds work can be quite different. So one product that might work for a colleague doesn't mean it's going to work for you. Getting your hands on those things and not getting caught up in the hype of the marketing engines of the demonstrations and things, really get in and and have a look and work with someone who might know the processes that you need. For a particular example might be with a surgeon. What's the the process for booking a theatre and providing an informed consent to a patient and sending a theatre list to the hospital? So there's all different touch points and each package makes them more difficult or easier to facilitate. So having something that suits you is incredibly important. Moving to another software package is becoming increasingly difficult now with more web-based products because the structure of the data is, can be quite different between platforms and how you pull out that information. So in some instances, depending on how many patient records you have, this might just come out as a, an Excel spreadsheet or, a, or PDFs, or you have to go through and print everything off and reattach it into the new system. It's quite an undertaking. If you're moving from, I guess, a more legacy product, understand that the only thing you're going to be able to migrate out of a package is patient information, demographics, pathology, letters, etc. There is no product on the market, to my knowledge, that actually migrates financials from one package to another. So you're also stuck with having to be able to access something for five years that you need to go back and pull financials out of. Understanding those challenges and what access do you have to that product if you retire or need to access something for medico-legal reasons that you weren't able to migrate. So there's all different sort of elements to to that. It's not simply the patient data. There's different layers, both legal, financial, and clinical. Funny though, as well, that point you raised is quite true though about it becoming more difficult to switch systems now that more systems are going cloud-based. It, only in healthcare could that happen. <laughs> like, I guess we'll get there at some point, but right now, yeah, that's a, a tricky game to play. It is. And certainly, you know, one of the problems that I would like solved is patient Patients really don't want a patient portal. I don't know how many patient portals there are out there, but every patient I talk to says, I'm not signing into that thing. And this is part of the fragmentation of our healthcare system is it's not just based, it's not just data, it's patients having to go to each individual practice and replicate that information multiple times to be able to have somewhere that we could draw down that information, get permission to put it into our system from a patient, that would be a step in the right direction. Hey, then reflecting on that and where we're going, swing it right back mm. to when, when it started. Back in the in the good old days when you were doing <laughs> virtual services. Oh, we had faxes. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry, we yeah, still I have them. Say, I, yep. I remember those. Yeah. Um, the... <laughs> Uh, what was it like doing doing your virtual services when terms like cloud and SaaS weren't even a thing? And what were you doing and how's it changed since then? 
it's been quite a tech journey. I started at the same time as the iPhone came out. Wow. Yeah. So wasn't quite as successful as the iPhone, but <laughs> but boy, did our world change. And when I first set up the business, the virtual medical, well, we called ourselves virtual medical office back then, I actually established the service on the grounds of a hospital to give it some kudos because if I was out in you know, the suburbs called virtual medical office, the doctors would never have taken me seriously. And in all honesty, it probably took eight years for me to be taken seriously because really it didn't really come into its own and get legs until about 2014. But when I started it, I was hosting multiple instances of multiple databases, in this case, Genie, on a server in my back office. And because Genie was a client server package, I had HP thin clients in a data rack next to that with each of the doctor's individual client apps. And we would have to install the third party applications. So some of the complexity in our sector is not necessarily around the actual practice data. It's with the integration of all of those third-party plugins, the pathology, the radiology, and the fact that that is connected to a doctor's provider number. And so you can only have one instance of that on each application. I've been looking for a better way of doing it because I'd have to be going in on a Sunday and rebooting the server if something happened or if we had a storm and the power went out. And there was a huge investment made. I think we spent close to $200,000 to set up the whole kit when we first started because we rolled out what was then a really cutting edge telephony system, which was uh, the Avaya. We were running VoIP and SIP technology that in healthcare really wasn't being done at the time. And I had an application from America called Go Global, and that's how the doctors were actually logging into our server. Then I went to Melbourne at one stage to a presentation, and the doctor was using a single you know, instance of Genie using Citrix at the time. And I got incredibly excited. And so I worked with this Melbourne company to be able to deliver the software via Citrix and hosting it in a, in a hosted environment because the benefit of Citrix at that time was that you could plug and play a printer and printing is a huge thing for the doctors and unfortunately still is. But the printing side of things was incredibly challenging with that early technology. So the implementation of Citrix certainly made that much more streamlined. And then about 2014, 15, Microsoft got its act together and was able to compete more effectively with Citrix from a hosting perspective. And we then migrated over to a Microsoft-based platform. Wow, there you go. What a journey of different technologies that's used. But it's crazy how a lot of that's still kind of used today as well, just because that's what's needed. I know of a lot of clinics that try and link multiple practices together via Citrix, and that's kind of a good enough. Yeah, look, Citrix, it's like any platform. You know, there's some that are large animals in the back end, and there's some that aren't. I think that some of the things I've seen with Citrix is that it's much more difficult to manage in the back end. So you really do have to have specialists in that sector to be able to to manage that for you. It is a great product and I do like it. I kind of miss different features of it, but certainly from an economical perspective, Microsoft is, is much easier on the budget and they're certainly doing 
some interesting things in the healthcare space at the moment. I'm watching them with interest. Starting to wind things out, Dina, for the clinics or the clinicians that are considering implementing some different ways to deliver services. This year, obviously, most clinicians have needed to deliver healthcare differently at some point, either via tele or remote patient monitoring. You've probably worked with clinicians that do it well and others that need a hand. What would be some advice you'd provide to those that want to be able to provide a better service through telehealth or remote patient monitoring or other technology-enabled healthcare services? And So certainly looking at different platforms, once again, the same as your software, there's going to be a different way of working with those products. So finding one that suits your style, finding one that's geofenced to Australia specifically. There was one that I had seen that was of concern to me that they read their privacy policy, please, Mm. because basically if it's free, you're the product once again. And in this case, you and your patients are the product. So be incredibly careful as to what you, you choose in that regard. Um, there's usually, I get greatest challenge is obviously bandwidth in Australia. Um, I myself am rural and I usually run any, um, video talks through my mobile phone while I take note on my laptop. So you're running on different providers Mm -hmm. and not, um, getting caught up in the bandwidth issue of missing half a conversation, which you just can't do in a clinical consult. Mm -hmm. And also the practicalities, having that dual screen. So one of the challenges for doctors in particular, the GPs with having to pivot so quickly during COVID was that there was actually no monitors to buy and there was no webcams. You know, all of that equipment went incredibly quickly. And for those who were not as prompt in responding, it was a challenge. So one of the things you can do to make things more efficient as as a doctor providing telehealth is to have dual screens. You've got your video up on one screen and your notes up on the other and making sure that in some instances you can have those different areas of bandwidth to try and minimize any lag. Getting telehealth right in your practice now I think will serve you well in the future. What my hope is that it will just become part of care and a necessary part of care. We've got an aging population and a shrinking workforce. And part of that will be trying to provide as much care as we possibly can with minimal access. So, you know, remote patient monitoring will then be the next layer on top of telehealth where we can actually monitor patients from the comfort of their home more effectively and respond more effectively, provide better preventative care so that we're not having patients end up in the ED department, that, you know, people aren't ending up with, um, you know, things that they're neglecting because they didn't want to go to the doctor because it's an effort. I mean, my granddad, he's 97 and he gets up at five o'clock every morning so because it takes him two hours to get ready to go to breakfast at 7am. So the physical challenges for the elderly are significant. A lot to consider there and a lot of problems to solve. So that's really, really interesting. Dina, what's on the horizon for Vmore? What are you guys working on and what will we see in the next three to six to 12 months? We've got some interesting things. I think I might have 
spoken about doctors being able to try different things, different technologies. And so I'm developing a platform for them to be able to to do that, not a platform in the sense of the word, but an avenue for them to be able to try different suppliers and different products and develop tech stacks for them that are bespoke to the way they want to work. That's one of the things that I'm working on at the moment. But the other thing is that something I'm really passionate about, which is AI and AI is different things to different people. AI for me is around digital humans and being able to deliver something to patients when a real human isn't available, you know, whether that be after hours or being able to guide people through different journeys so that they feel supported. One of the things that you hear back from patients is they often feel herded like cattle through some of the different healthcare organizations. And so VMORE, because you know, our why is that we actually care about people and the people who care and being able to bring that together in a way that holds the hand of patients through that healthcare journey and provides a really great experience for them reflects on the doctor's reputation. And the doctor's reputation is everything. And whatever we can do to support that in a positive way. That's what we're about. We've increased our workforce by uh, 38% in the last six months and being able to appropriately service those specialists who are now moving into private practice with, you know, a competent secretary, someone who's skilled and that flows through the organisation and also educating staff. I'm in the process of partnering with an organisation to provide ongoing training for people who want to become virtual secretaries. Sounds like there's a busy period for you and it's only going to get um, more ramped. So good luck with all that, Dina. I'm looking forward to hearing how all that progresses. I'll put little details of VMore and everything that Dina and the team are doing in the show notes of this episode. Good luck with everything, Dina. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Peter. Thanks for listening to Talking Health Tech. My name is Peter Birch. Make sure you go check out our website for all our resources, including this podcast and the largest directory of technology solutions available to Australian healthcare practitioners today. Until next time, I'm out of here.